welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Sotelo Esquire. Evan and Mike aren't here this week, so it's just going to be our special guest host, Jonathan Schwartz, and longtime friend of the show, our guest tonight from Planet Kaplan itself, Leonard Kaplan. So thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, don't have a huge agenda, uh, unlike most week weeks. Um, uh, someone famous didn't die, you know, in wrestling. I know that's usually why well, I try to leave that open because I'm like, every week we have to do a, a memorial for someone famous. It's one of the odd weeks that uh, uh, nobody actually died on, which is good, which is good. I mean, you know, with enough celebrity deaths, this is feeling like 2016, isn't it? You Very know, nice. with everybody that's that's been dying recently, and all the famous people from Suzanne Summers to to uh, 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 let's see, we've had yeah, and Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry just yesterday. Ma Matthew Perry was, was last night. So, like you know, the the celebrities are taking a hit, and the wrestlers are are hanging back for a little bit. We, we've lost some very notable people this year, so I'm not asking for any more folks to join the uh, uh, the here and after. Um, uh, in fact, usually right around this time of year, a lot of people start making out their most famous dead from 2023, and we're going to have some, some pretty interesting and uh, noted so uh, wrestling names on that list. I wonder which ones the, the press are going to focus on, you know, um, probably like a lot like... Uh, They'll talk a lot about Terry Funk, but I wonder how much Adrian Street's going get, to get mentioned. So I think so. Ho hopefully, this is it for this year. But I would imagine that the that the big name that's going to be mentioned in mainstream press would be Bray Wyatt, just because he was still very much a going concern at the time. I mean, Terry Funk, obviously, absolute legend. You could say the same for the Iron Sheik or superstar Billy Graham both of whom at various times did have that kind of level of mainstream media presence. But, man, uh, Wyatt's death just came out of nowhere. Um, in his mid-30s, at the height of his career, and, you know, sadly gone. Yeah, Leonard, what are you, some of your thoughts? Well, he was definitely a, a, a current force in professional wrestling, and I think that his best days would have been in front of him, definitely. Um, I, I always like to see wrestlers perform more as themselves. I was never a fan, and I'm definitely in the minority here, of the supernatural type of gimmicks, like his and, and The Undertaker's. Now, I love these Papa wrestlers. Shango. Papa Shango. Papa Shango. You know, all, Evan all Sullivan. Had he, you know, you kind of delved in that a little bit. Kevin Sullivan and uh, uh, Mitchell, Kevin Mitchell, right? Or not Mitchell. Uh, 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 Sullivan. Yeah, no, but the uh, uh, the guy who had kind of the semi-demonic uh, managerial persona. I'm trying to remember his name. Not Jim Mitchell. Jim Mitchell. That's the sinister it. minister. Yeah, thank you. Yes, and and also my buddy, uh, uh, the fallen angel, Christopher Daniel. He did yeah. that. He, he did kind of the, the priest gimmick for a while. Oh, and we had uh, also the uh, 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 the brood, you know, which, you know, kind of uh, uh, borrowed from that as well with uh, um, uh, my pal uh, 
uh, from uh, uh, the WWF um, uh, vampire. I'm, I'm oh, vampire warrior. Yeah, Gang yeah, Grell. yeah. And Gangrel. Grell. Gangrel is a really nice guy. You know, in fact, uh, just saw him on on the. Uh, I was watching the Luna Vachon, um, uh Dark Side of the Ring, and he has a significant role in that. They were doing a Dark Side of the Ring marathon, and there were a number of shows I hadn't caught up with, and and they had him as, as part of it. Um, and I've worked a couple of shows with him, and he's he's actually a really nice guy, um, and spent a lot. He spent a lot of time in California, so. You know, along with a lot of other places, like a lot of wrestlers do. So, um, is there anyone in particular you think that you'll miss the most from twenty twenty three? The one of the wrestlers that, that that we lost. Who who to you is the is the greatest loss personally? You asking me? Yeah, I, yeah. Let go, go because for it. I'm a big Terry Funk fan, and uh, his feud with Flair in nineteen eighty nine was amazing. Probably the best, one of the best of all time, if not the best feud that I remember. Because it had that, again, I'm always a stickler for reality. It seemed real. It was believable. It, it, everything there was plausible. And that, to me, is the sweet spot of wrestling, is when you can suspend your disbelief, which is the original goal of professional wrestling. And gone with the death of kayfabe, kind of, you know. Unfortunately, but but that's true. What about you, Jonathan? What's your who who are you gonna miss the most? Have we lost you, Jonathan? Uh oh, he's looking so serious. Uh-oh. Too serious. I think we may have lost him on the call. You know what I'm gonna do? Yeah, I'm still. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna remove him. I'm gonna add him Uh-oh. back to the uh to the call here. But meanwhile, um for, can you tell us what's we haven't seen you for for a little while it's been over a year can you tell us what's been going on with is planet kaplan still up planet kaplan <laughs> yeah didn't you have your your uh your website up for a little while the, the... no the, i i was designing it and and i kind of took a hiatus really from wrestling talk and i've been doing special interviews with certain wrestlers like bandit bill rossi from the iwf who passed away uh early 2023 and two weeks before he died i did an in-depth interview and uh, bill was a great man and a great wrestler and he actually did an angle um he had an angle lined up for himself back in 1987 um with Dr. D. David Schultz, and he generously gave it to my late co-host, Paul Fay. Paul was a photographer before he was my co-host for the IWF and a professional wrestler and a manager known as Memphis Slim. And he gave Paul this opportunity to work with Dr. D, and everything was kayfabe. This was the very first time I had ever been behind the scenes at a wrestling match and at the match paul left me in my seat while he was going to do photography and without telling me he was attacked by dr d with his own camera uh dr d hit him uh in the forehead several times with the camera there was a lot of blood 
and this was all, of course, a work. And I can't, I, I, it's like I was in one of those zones where, okay, you know, it must be a work, but yet you're not quite sure. Those were the days when it could be that ambiguous. So when I was backstage before this happened with Paul, it was my first time ever backstage in a wrestling arena. And I kept hearing, kayfabe, kayfabe, kayfabe. And I, and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know. I wasn't smart enough to the business. And Paul told me later that was, you know, they're telling each other to be quiet because I was a newbie. I was a green person. I was never a wrestler myself, but we had just started the show. And our only guest so far was Walter Kilikowalski himself, who was on our first five shows. And this angle, and Paul never really even came out and said to me, this was a work, and Dr. D uh, really, you know, didn't well, me. Well, Dr. D is someone that, you, first of all, you never wanted to accuse anyone, never wanted to say to his face, are you working me, or are you, uh, is this a shoot? You know, I mean, we, we all know about, or a lot of people don't know about what he did on 2020 with John Stossel. And, uh, you know, or was it was it John Stossel? That yes, he... it was. And this was right after the John Stossel incident. So, of course, that was in my mind when all this action was was occurring before my eyes in person. And I said, you know, the police would be here. I figured it out. The police would have been there to take Dr. D away if this was a, 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 a shoot. You know, I didn't know the word shoot myself back then either. Shoot, but work. also people didn't know what stiff was, and a guy like Dr. D was stiff on a lot of people. And you know, if you didn't do things in a way that Dr. D felt was respectful, he would let you know about it. He would, because that's yeah. another word that people don't really know about, and that's that's potato man. Yeah, and you know, I've okay. I've seen my share and had my share of potatoings done to me. A couple of times. So one time I was managing um, and this guy, uh, one of the one of the gimmicks was that I was from New York. So I I'd always wear a Yankees tie or I had a New York Giants, you know, uh, uh, football hat. And and this guy who was on the other other side of the ring in real life was a Patriots fan. And right. the Giants had just beaten the Patriots in the Super Bowl and ruined that perfect season they were trying to have. Oh, there we are. Okay, sorry John, about that. Yeah, you're back and you've moved. You're you're in a whole new office now. Oh, I, I moved on up to the west side. Yes, that was quick. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, you're back and and glad to to have you rejoin us here. Uh, we were just talking a little bit about Dr. D. David Schultz, which is someone that. Leonard had worked with, or didn't really work with, but um, you were you were working a show that he was at, and 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 one of his friends got got involved in a in a rather bloody um, uh, altercation with him, even though it was a work. Um, and we were talking about John, the John Stossel incident, and 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 Dr. T. I remember when that happened. I was I went the next day. I was in high school, and I went to all my friends. I was like. Saying, do you see what happens when you tell wrestlers that it's fake? It's like, you know, don't ever, ever say, whether you think it's real or not real, don't ever tell a wrestler 
that you think it's fake. And that was one of the first times I'd ever seen. I knew that wrestlers hated being told that it was fake, but I also knew that there are some guys. I'm like, look, there are some guys you just, they're badasses, whether they're in the wrestling ring, whether they were a bouncer somewhere or a bodyguard somewhere or a bounty hunter somewhere. That's usually what these guys do. You know, they don't go on to like sell flowers when they're done. You know, wrestling, they usually are, or before they got into wrestling, they're usually involved in something excruciatingly physical before they ever, ever got in the ring. And Dr. D is no, no stranger to that. What's your, what are some of your memories of Dr. D there, uh, Jonathan? So I'll just do a side note that Outlaw Ron Bass actually did run a flower shop after he finished wrestling. <laughs> um. <laughs> Weird, random things you know. Um, in terms of Doctor D, I think that the that the John Stossel thing is the biggest one. Um, he, of course, he had a phenomenal run up in Calgary with the Hearts for many years before he joined WWE, and in the brief career he had after, he kind of made his way back up there just as he was kind of barnstorming around. One thing that I think people miss um, when looking at him, though, is when. Vince McMahon first went um, first embarked on his national expansion with the WWF. Doctor D was set up as the number one heel. I mean, everybody talks about Piper and Orndorff and Cowboy Bob Orton and later on Stud and Bundy and the rest of them, but really, um, Doctor D was one of Piper's first proteges. Piper was originally brought in as a manager because Vince thought he was too small to work as a wrestler, um, but. If there was ever somebody who didn't need somebody to talk for him, it was it was Doctor D. And he had the promo down. He was thoroughly badass. Um, I think of him in very similar terms to the way I think of Bad News Allen, Bad News Brown, in that both of those men with the gimmicks that they had and the kind of really um, borderline sociopathic hatred of everybody who came across their paths really kind of set the stage for Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think without Dr. D particularly, I think weirdly more look from Bad News Allen if you look at the bald head and the and the beard and the black trunks and the black boots. Um, I think Steve Austin lifted a lot from Bad News Allen. But if you look at the kind of just really misanthropic promos that he would cut, um, the absolute contempt that he had for the audience, the fact that he would cheat for the sake of it, even if he clearly matched his opponents, that's Steve Austin from bell to bell at the fact that much like steve austin dr d was a really good wrestler he was certainly in a a great brawler but the man who was wrestling holds as well and he could hold a match with just about anybody so the one thing the other thing that i remember a lot about uh dr d is as they were bringing him into wwe like a lot of other superstars they did a series of vignettes and the vignettes that they used to try and get Dr. D over with the crowd really kind of cast him as, pardon my saying this, but a low-class, stereotypical Southern white-beating yes. drunken boss. I remember the one where they go visit his house, and he's got his, his wife and, there, and he's telling his wife and, and, you know, to, to make eggs for him. And, 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 and basically know. doing everything but committing spousal abuse on camera which today obviously would not fly. I don't really think it, it flew terribly well back then, to be honest. Uh, there's also an incident, and, and this is one of those odd things about wrestling. I'd mentioned it 
off screen, we had uh, Travis Orndorf on a few weeks ago, uh, Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorf. And I had a chance to talk to him off camera um, about a promo that Paul Orndorf had cut early in his WWE tenure where he used some pretty offensive language to describe people of color. Again, different time. He was trying to be a Southern bully kind of heel. It was kind of part of the gimmick. But those kind of things... Same with uh, waving the Confederate flag. We don't yes. do that much. And and, much and that. Michael Hayes, who painted his face with it and wore robes with the Confederate flag, has since kind of spoken at length about why that decision was made back then and how it was taken and acknowledging that, you know, maybe it wasn't necessarily the best decision, but it was part of... Well, Baron von Raschke used to walk around in a Nazi flag. Absolutely. Um, But there are interviews, pictures of Dr. D walking around with a Klan shirt on. And I know that there are rumors that there have been other wrestlers who actively were involved in that. Dick Murdoch. Since he's not here to defend himself, I'm not going to. I think name that names. it's pretty well established um, by everybody, and I'll, I'll I'll take the heat for it if, okay. if Dick Murdoch's ghost wants to come haunt me. He's welcome to do so. I'm I'm although, not. Although not, again, bad news, Alan, who worked extensively with Dick Murdoch, says he never had a problem with the guy. What I doesn't don't mean he wasn't a member of the KKK. Doesn't mean it. But so that was all. That was another kind of image that kind of st- stuck out at me later. That, you know, even within this character that's supposed to be this really kind of, you know, why not check off racism with all the other stereotypes? When I see that kind of thing, I always kind of wonder, because, you know, I'm sitting here as a fan back in the early 80s. I'm still a fan today. I've never met the dude. I've read his autobiography, and he doesn't say anything about it, obviously. Um, but I always wonder, because there's all, in some cases, there's this really big gap between the person that you see on the on TV in character and the person that you see behind the scenes. And sometimes there's not. Sometimes a jerk is a jerk. And so I always kind of wonder which category somebody falls into. Leonard, your thoughts? Well, that brings to mind, I knew one of the early managers of uh, Triple H when, uh, when Triple H was in Walter Kowalski's Kilikowalski's IWF. His name was John Rodeo. And when I met Triple H and interviewed him with John Rodeo on location, uh, before the cameras were rolling, my it was my crew. Um, both of them were very rude to me, but that was they were being. They, this is the ultimate kayfabe. I found I didn't find out until ten or fifteen years later that. <laughs> John Rodeo was a very nice guy, and we became friends. And uh, I never had the opportunity to find that out for sure about Triple H, but I suspect probably he's a good guy too. You know, it's just uh, kayfabe applied to anybody in and out of professional wrestling. That's how serious it was back then. Yeah, no, and and it can be argued that with the loss of kayfabe, you've lost that kind of plausible believability of you know is it a work is it a shoot it's you know that the the belief that it's always a work all the time and then you certainly have like guys who aren't good at selling anyway like pretty much populating wrestling right now the the hard sell and the 
the you know the the a guy selling an arm bar like he's gonna you know submit at any point in time from a standing wrist lock you know is not something you ever see in wrestling anyway you never see the the tests of strength anymore where two guys you know lock up with their hands and spend five minutes you know going back and forth and working that spot anymore because just people people just don't buy it i mean it, it probably shows up in indies every once in a while but you don't see that kind of thing because you know just people have lost it they all they want to see is high spots that's pretty much you know from the the, the bell opening to the bell finishing they want to see guys doing high spots the whole time and that ultimately is why I more or less ended my wrestling talk show, Wrestling Talk, which started in 1987, and, and I more or less faded it out by 2018. And I still do interviews, but very, very sporadically these days, mostly with people who years back, I'm in contact with them, and I said, I'm going to interview you someday, and I never did. I want to make good on all my promises. Yeah, so Jonathan, your thoughts? I'm of two minds about it. I, I think it's possible to appreciate wrestling from any era as long as you understand kind of what they're offering. I think that there's always going to be some acts that are evergreen and there are some performers who can who can still captivate you with a wrist lock. Terry Funk, we just mentioned, would be one. Nick Bockwinkle's one of my favorites who could. I think that if you that if you put Kurt Angle into any kind of match, he would be another one. Heck, I would even throw Triple H into into that equation as well. He knew how to wrestle technically. By the same token, the days when you could have Ole Anderson sweat over somebody in a hammerlock for an hour forty five minutes in a two hour main event are long gone. And I think that you know we talk about wrestling being more credible back when, but you can't look at the Mongols or Ivan Koloff or the wild Samoans and at some point not kind of clue in that there's an air of unreality there. And I think that fans on some level always knew and always did understand. You can't go to a live match and see somebody actually punch someone and miss, which happened. And, not kind of realize what it is. I, th I think that the key has always been suspension of disbelief. I think what's made it a little bit more challenging even now is for the way that you used to be able to build a match really slowly emphasizing holds and, and you know, really working over a, over a body part and that kind of thing. Well, now you have things like mixed martial arts where if people are actually going to set out and fight, and challenge each other in different disciplines, the fights don't go that long. And there is a lot more happening and a lot more scrambling on the mat, and they don't kind of sit in a hole for 10 minutes at a shot trying to work their way out of it. Even if you watch Olympic wrestling, they don't kind of sit in a hole and work their way out of it for 10 minutes, which is historically where a lot of the drama inside of a wrestling match took place. So... You know, I can watch a Bruno San Martino match and enjoy it. I can watch an Argentina Rocca match and enjoy it. And if, if you think an Argentina Rocca match looked plausible, I've got you know, or an Edward Carpentier match looked plausible back when. It speaks more to how electric they were as performers and how willing the audience was to buy into it. But I certainly don't see 
as big a difference as some people might between Edouard Carpentier doing La Cannonball versus Jeff Hardy launching a Swanton bomb. Well, and I think what the what has been considered acceptable as far as like telling the story in a match has changed, you know, by what the audience now, you know, believes. You can't you can't do those kind of holes without, you know, everyone chanting boring, you know, right away. You know, if, if a hold lasts 10 seconds, you stand a chance of people starting to go boring. And, and you know, fans didn't ever do that in the 70s. And even into the late 80s, people were more respectful about the story that was going on in the ring. But people's attention spans, especially with the way ECW got popular and and the way that, you know, uh, if you look at, like, the way AEW wrestling is now, which is not a bad, to say it's a bad product, but they don't believe in, a, in as much of an in-ring story as they do the outside the ring story than being told relatively briefly in the ring. You know, the promos and the build-ups outside of the ring leading to, you know, a five-minute in-ring product, whereas in the in the old days, you'd have five minutes of promo and 20 minutes of in-ring product. So I think that that's one thing that's really changed is that they're doing most of their storytelling outside the ring and promos that I'm not sure are really wonderful, especially with the WWE. AEW, I'm willing to give a little bit more credit to because I don't think they, they let people go on as long. But in the WWE, I think it's gotten to... Promo mania is so prevalent that it's really killing a lot of what you see in the ring. What do you guys think? But I, I think that the test has always been, I know that wrestling is fake, but this thing in front of me looks real. I'm not entirely sure that these guys aren't cooperating. And every now and then you do get a match that looks, that looks and that feels real. Um, Heck, Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch put on one a couple of years ago at SummerSlam where a lot of fans believed that there was legitimate animosity between them and that the match went off script. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart did it a million times when, when things were heated with them. But after the fact, they've always confirmed that they managed to keep it professional in the ring up until that match at Survivor Series. And that wasn't even necessarily all Sean's doing. That was more a corporate decision that was made that he had to carry out. Um, Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton at SummerSlam a few years ago, they made it look like Brock Lesnar was killing Randy Orton, so much so that they fooled the guys backstage and Chris Jericho got in Brock Lesnar's face because he believed that he'd legitimately hurt one of his colleagues. So to me, that's always kind of been the mark of really, really good wrestling that it's close enough to the real thing that you just don't know. It go- and, and that's always been the case. That goes back to Johnny Valentine saying pro wrestling. I may not be able to make you believe that pro wrestling is real, but I sure as hell can make you believe that I'm real. Leonard, what do you feel? That's a really great quote there, uh, Jonathan. I like that a lot. Um, I think professional wrestling can be believable. It's all up to the promoters as to how much they want to play that up. And in WWE, it's how much they're going to let the wrestlers go away from what the writers in the back want them to do. 
And I'm curious now that Triple H is in charge of WWE now that it's been sold, how much of the core of believability that we used to have might might return, like in the golden days of uh, NXT under Triple H. So I'm anxious for that. It may actually make me tune in more often. Okay. Now I have a question for both of you guys. Who will fade into obscurity first, Donald Trump or Vince McMahon? <laughs> oh, who wants to take that? It's yours. It's yours, Leonard. You me me. Yes. Um, I think Vince McMahon will go into obscurity first because he's forcibly left the scene due to the new owners and putting Triple H in charge. Uh, plus, he has that little mustache that makes him look like a like a snake oil salesman right now. I, I, he doesn't look like Vince anymore. Typical uh, Hollywood villain, actually, you know, from like the twenties. You know, yeah. I've been going with Gomez Adams. Snidely Whiplash has been my my take on that. But yeah. but but he's like Freddy Krueger, you know. You you th- or Jason, since we're, we're we're bordering on Halloween here. It's like it's like uh, or Michael Myers. You think Vince McMahon is done, but he rises up out of the grave and comes back. And you know, since he's worth now, you know, seven billion dollars or whatever the full amount was paid in that obscene deal that that, that was made. Uh, 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 how do you stop a seven billion dollar man from you know getting back into the spotlight? You know, I, I don't I, I don't think he's done. I think he's going to still try to, you know, he'll he'll be out for like four or five months and then it'll just his ego will, will force him to somehow get back involved. Maybe he'll bring back the World Bodybuilding Federation or something. Jonathan, your thoughts? Well, he already tried to bring back uh, the XFL. More than once before he sold it to The Rock, he's actually got, I don't know if he wound up the corporation in the middle of selling everything to Endeavor, but he he also has a separate company that had bankrolled the XFL and that had a number of other entertainment ventures um, on the go as well. I, maybe this speaks to a lack of creativity on my part, but you know, Vince just turned 78 years old. I don't know if you saw... Um, there was footage of him along with The Undertaker attending a UFC card last night. Um, he recently had some pretty significant spinal surgery, and, I, and you know, Grecian formula notwithstanding, the dude just does not look well. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I certainly understand not wanting to retire. I, I plan on being carried out feet first from my office, and I don't make anywhere near $7 billion. But I have to wonder for, you know, being at this stage of his life for having this much money to his name, what could you possibly do with $7 billion? I don't think I could spend it all. No, he's not going to be able to spend it all, even if he tries to, you know, have a bunch of other affairs. And and his uh, kids are certainly well looked after in their own right too. So I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not crying poor for Stephanie or Shane either. But he can't, we know he can't stand being out of the spotlight, much like Trump. You know, he, he has to have people talking about him. You know, he can stand a couple months maybe when people forget about him. But once once people start really forgetting about him, 
it drives him insane. And he'll he'll do something to try to make, you know, him noticed by I mean he has seven billion dollars to get himself noticed. I think he'll 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 do something that we're gonna all shake our heads at and go like, Wow, Vince, all right, that if that's what you want to do with your money, go ahead and do it. I mean, that's what I felt about the World Bodybuilding Federation and yet, you know, and the XFL and he did it twice. Leonard, what do you think? Well, I think whatever Vince does will be anticlimactic uh, compared to what he did with the WWE, WWF, and WWWF over the years. Because legally, he can't go back there. I mean, millions of dollars uh, were were paid to the new owners, right? And and they must have had an agreement of who is going to actually be in charge that's written in the law. He can't just show up back there. So it would have to be some other new endeavor uh, something to do with like ufc uh, a competitor maybe to ufc or like you say trying again with the world bodybuilding federation or or the uh, his his football league uh but everything it seems that he's done outside the wwe is destined to kind of fade into obscurity i don't like to say that about people because i believe in you know, you can reinvent yourself, but I just don't think that the public is going to accept anything else from him. Yeah, and I, I, think- I have four words. Donald Trump, vice president. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. That, 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 well, right now, you know, with Pence dropping out of the uh, uh, presidential race, uh, uh, Trump hasn't said who he wants, and he did make uh, uh, Linda McMahon, you know, uh, head of the Small Business Administration. So, you know, you never know. Where, and it, it, may, it may be tough to get money out of uh, the Kushners these days. So he, he, he does need another source of funding. Maybe Vince is, is the next easiest mark for him to, to you know, get him the fame that he wants and everything like that. But what are your thoughts of the uh, of the current state of the WWE and how the uh, endeavor is going to affect what goes on and what product we see from the WWE? How do you think things are going to change or do you think they will at all? What's, what's your thoughts, Leonard? Well, like I said, I think with Triple H at the helm, they will change. And this time he doesn't have Vince breathing down his neck even from a distance, because legally Vince can't do anything. The company sold. So maybe let's see what Triple H can do unrestrained. And um, may, now Triple H, I believe in, and I think he will reinvent some stuff and do stuff that he didn't dare do even when he was in charge before, because Vince is not over his shoulder anymore. As a son-in-law, he is, but... I don't think he can do anything to him uh, business-wise. Jonathan, what's your thoughts? I think creatively it's going to get a lot more interesting. I think the last year or so it's been markedly improved. I think the Bloodline storyline, a lot of the re-signings that Triple H made, I think the rise of the Judgment Day as as a faction as well. The fact that Dominic Mysterio has turned into a fantastic heel, for example, I don't think that any. I never of this, saw that coming, by the way. Yeah, me neither. And and I, I mean, when he was just Rey Mysterio's kid and the blandest tag team in the universe, I, he <laughs> was he was a reason to 
change the channel. Now he's worth watching. Um, but I think a lot of that is attributable to Triple H from a creative perspective. What I'm a little bit more interested in is from a corporate perspective, if Endeavor is going to, over time, have WWE follow more of a model for um, talent contracts like they have at UFC. Um, the way UFC contracts typically work is that a fighter is signed for two to three fights. They get a very nominal amount when they're not fighting and they get paid when they actually do fight. So UFC is able to keep a huge number of fighters within the family, so to speak, but they only actually really pay a few at a time. I think what we're going to see is a lot more kind of swapping talent in and out along that model so nobody gets too big ahead, so to speak. And I think that we're going to see um, a much a lot more bloodletting sessions like we like we just recently saw. I think that the roster is going to be trimmed significantly. I think right now, if you're a pro wrestler, the absolute best thing that you have going for you is the fact that AEW is a going concern and is a private company in its own. It's not accountable to shareholders the way WWE is right now, so they can afford to spend and if need be lose money and write it off for taxes. I think the fact that, albeit on much smaller levels, you still have impact or soon to be TNA again. Um, and that's basically a source of inexpensive programming for a vertically integrated network. The fact that you have um, Billy Corgan with the NWA saying that he's recently signed a TV deal with the, C with the CW. And again, neither of those players are necessarily going to make the same kind of financial commitments to talent that WWE is, but there's places to work. And I think that's going to be increasingly important over the next little while because I can't see Endeavor. I can't see Endeavor doing the same thing that WWE would pre-acquisition, where they would sign a whole bunch of guys just to take them off the board and squash the competition. I don't think Endeavor is afraid of of competition. UFC has run through Bellator, it's run through Extreme Fighting, it's run through any number of other Pride, any number of of other promotions um, and they still retain their position in the market. So I don't think that there's quite the same over the top need to squash others and be the only player in the game, so to speak. Leonard, your thoughts? Well, um, like I said, I'm, I'm anxious to see what Triple H will do. Um, I'm wondering about People like CM Punk. You see a lot of a lot written about CM Punk. Um, I was just about to bring him up, so I'm glad you brought him up. Perfect. It seems like that they're teasing uh, the fact that CM Punk is out there, and will he or won't he? They don't. They won't. They won't seem to put that to rest. But then, on the other hand, in press releases, they say, "Well, they turned down CM Punk." So I'm thinking we might see a little bit of a work uh, shoot mix in there somewhere. Like the Do you think it's going to ultimately wind up back with the WWE, though? If they're interested in a, in a cheap pop, and that's what it would be at this point, because I think in a, the eyes of a lot of the fans, from what I see, uh, CM Punk does not have the mystique that he did due to his behavior in backstage brawls over in AEW. But you know the wrestling populace. They have a, 
a memory is as short as like you know half of a of a gnat and when you know people show back up you know in the wwe they could probably push it like oh who is the cm punk guy you know the the, the wwe loves to like pretend like guys that they had in their federation for a long time they've never been there before i've never heard of the cm punk guy who is this c cm guy you know and 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 the collective amnesia you know of the wwe have they really done that though in recent years i know they did it like 20 years ago i don't think that they would do that now i think maybe they know that the fans are a little bit wiser these days or are they exactly you know i or put a mask on them and 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 you know well, make them, uh, question mark punk instead of a uh, cm punk but uh uh uh, uh but uh, uh, so, but I did, you, the, uh, Jonathan, you touched on something that I did want to definitely bring up tonight. And that is, what do you guys think of Billy Corgan's announcement that he wants to bring back the, the territory type concept with the NWA and license different parts of different territories, feds in different territories as NWA members? And what do you think that's going to do for the brand? Leonard, go ahead. Well, I love the subject of the territories because there's such a mystique about each territory. And the reason that there is a mystique about each territory is because they grew out of the regions that they were born in organically. AWA in Minnesota, NWA in the South and in the Southeast. Uh, and pretty much everywhere had a representative of the NW, and then of course WWF and WWE in the New York era era area. Uh, I don't think it would work artificially to create these territories because they're all people. Again, the fans are wise, the 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 sheets are wise, and you're going to be able to tell that it's all under one umbrella. Uh, and it would be like the NWA and the NWA were not the NWA, the WCW, WCW Wolfpack against, you know, uh, the rest of WCW. Um, in other words, when you're creating it artificially, if you you can't create a territory artificially, it, it's just it's one thing to have matches be a work. But to have fake territories, I, I don't just... think they're going to be fake. Though I think that they're going to the indie feds that are that are popular in different areas and start using those as affiliates that recognize one champion, you know, whoever the W the NWA champion is. But the rest of them could eventually have that NWA champion come visit their territory and defend the title. So are you talking about making some of the independents that still exist in all these areas into NWA representatives? Yes, that's what that's the very idea interesting. is. That's very that, interesting. That, okay, I take back what I said then, because that's very interesting. Yeah, that was just this week. Jonathan, have you heard about that too? I, I have heard about it. I think, I, I love Billy Corgan. 
I think that he is the absolute best thing to come along to wrestling in the last little while. I think the fact that he is basically willing the NWA at this point back into existence. I think the fact that this is now his third go around with a promotion. He started with Rev Pro, which he kind of got off the ground himself in Chicago. He had a brief run where he had an ownership stake for a little while in TNA, which dissolved in a flurry of lawsuits. And here he is again, kind of resuscitating the NWA. Um, I will say I haven't always agreed with with the booking choices that he's made. Um, I appreciate Tyrus and his mainstream popularity on Fox News, but you know they cleared him out because if there was a chance that the NWA was going to run a Turing champion, it was not going to be Tyrus. Um, that said, do I think that a territory approach could work today? I don't really know that it can. I think that of all things, ECW kind of put paid to the notion that the NWA on as a kind of overarching banner for promotions can really work. If I'm a mid to larger size independent federation, I don't, and I'm drawing successfully locally, and maybe I'm starting to run in other towns nearby. It's clear that by the time that I get big enough to attract the attention of AEW or WWE and my, the talent that I have under con, un, that I'm working with gets that kind of attraction, you know what's going to happen. Um, but I think that if you're mid-sized to bigger, especially with the availability of the internet as a way of kind of getting your product out there on its own, I don't know that you necessarily need that kind of affiliation anymore. And why position your top guy as something less than a touring champion who you're not who fans aren't going to get to see that often? I mean, right now, and I couldn't tell you offhand who their champions are. I'm not that attuned to it. But you know, if if I'm going to list off larger U.S. federations, WWE, AEW, TNA, as it's going to be in January. Um, NWA, Game Changer Wrestling, and then there's, you know, a number of others that have kind of popped up along the way that are a little bit more regional. You didn't bring and up I'd say Game Honor. Changer is probably you did not bring up Ring of, You didn't bring up Ring of Honor. Well, Ring of Honor is owned by AEW, Ring of Honor's, and, and frankly, the way that, unfortunately, uh, the way that Tony Khan has treated their rosters is completely porous. There's really... Nothing that distinguishes Ring of Honor. They don't even have their own separate television show at this point. I hope at some point they do. I hope at some point they do kind of split the rosters back up and have a defined second promotion. I think it is doable, but so far he hasn't opted to do it. Um, Major League Wrestling would be another one. And I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think that those kind of promotions necessarily need the NWA. I think at some point there will likely be a series of, of mergers that kind of, you know, within the three, four, five, six largest promotions, depending on which ones are the most viable, that you are going to see some of them come together. I'm kind of hoping for a full-scale uh, return to NWA TNA, but that's just me. Um, so I don't necessarily see the value promotion except for much smaller promotions. But even then, is that what Billy Corgan would want to see as the guys who are fighting for his for his top prize? I mean, do you really necessarily want to see the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion defended, you know, in a flyover city in front of 50 fans? 
Well, it, I guess it depends on what kind of talent is gonna would be brought in. I, I know some feds now that are here, one in California, one in, in Nebraska, that is interested in becoming an, an NWA affiliate. And they've got some pretty good names on the roster. So, you know, it, it might be also a way to really inject some some brand new talent into the scene that otherwise would not get the publicity if they were just simply, you know, wallowing in the independence. Because one thing for sure is that Vince said before he left that he really, and I don't know if, if Triple H will change this, but there's that policy that, you know, all incoming wrestlers were going to have to be part of the WWE product and he wasn't going to go to independence to hire, you know, new wrestlers any longer. And, you know, that's like saying that for the, the NFL that they won't get players from college anymore. You know, to me, that was always the feeder system. And, and it was never, you know, it would be like saying, if you want to play in the NFL, you have to spend four years in the in the NFL training camps before you can play a, a pro NFL game. You can't just come right out of college and play. And 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 the role of the independents were always to groom those people so that you could get into the WWE and hit the ground running. And I don't know if that's going to continue. If Vince said no to that, and you know, after they did, the quality of the wrestlers, at least the incoming ones, I think, really dropped down. You didn't see a lot of great new wrestlers for a while, and I don't know if that that's going to be something that Triple H will back off from and say, I want to start getting guys from the independents, or will the NWA start, you know, getting the best of the indies and start cultivating that to make their own products a little bit better? I think I think WWE already has started to back off of it. I mean, you see you see guys like Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano who were independent stalwarts. You see, admittedly, they've been through the NXT pipeline themselves sometimes for years and years. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, who started off in, in Montreal, you have um, AJ Styles, who completely bypassed NXT. Um, and in the meantime, if you look at the top recruits directly through, you know, right from college into the, I think it's N- NIT or something, they, they have a separate stream that they're trying to recruit directly from college to into NXT. You know, where's Gable Stevenson? Not sure, and, and, and he and he he's arguably the best suited to yeah. make the jump from college athletics to WWE. You look at a guy like uh, Dio Madden, who was recently released, who spent some time in Booker T's Reality of Wrestling, is where he was originally trained. But he was a football, a pro football player for many years, and you know that ultimately he wound up released. I think more because they never found what a constructive use for him, but you know, talented guy, good on the mic, and just for whatever reason it didn't happen. Uh, top dollar would be another one. Leonard, what are your thoughts? Well, um, getting back to what Jonathan said before about you'd only see the champions in uh, once in a while. I think that idea about making a bunch of territories would work just as well as SmackDown and Raw works for WWE right now. So I see maybe that's the future of wrestling is to do all that. 
Well, it's, you know, kind of what's old is new again sometimes, you know. Speaking of, you wanted to, to announce that, or make an announcement, because you're a big Beatles fan. I think, Jonathan, you're a Beatles fan too, aren't you? So mention about the uh, Beatles news that you had, or quote-unquote news. Well, there's a quote-unquote new Beatles song, the last Beatles song as it's being promoted. It's called Now and Then, It's and it's from a bunch of demos on cassette that Yoko Ono released to Paul McCartney uh, back in 1996. And uh, there were three songs we all know, if you're a Beatles fan, Real Love and Free as a Bird. The, this third song that's coming out on the 2nd of November is called Now and Then which if you're a YouTube fan, you've seen a million fan-made versions of this song on how they would imagine that Paul and Ringo would finish it off uh, with George's recording added in 1997. Um, I'm curious, like any other Beatles fan, and and it's an interesting thing to me. um, I'm not expecting to be blown away by anything whatsoever. AI is being used to separate John Lennon's voice from the piano and from the television set that he had on in the background when he recorded on this uh, this uh, little cassette, because it was meant to be a demo, and the tape was labeled for Paul. After John died, uh, like I said, Yoko waited 10 or 15 years and gave these songs for whatever reason to Paul, and it was in John's writing that that uh, the cassette said for Paul. So it should be very interesting. Uh, I've been reading a lot of the fans' uh, hopes for the song and guesses about the song. I don't know. Do you guys have any opinions? Jonathan? I think that if you spend your life being a fan of the Beatles, any last bit of music that comes out is going to be a positive thing. Um, I have to admit, I, I I agree with the, I agree with Let It Be. I think you have a band that had such an amazing output, so many great songs, um, such a phenomenal impact on pop culture as a whole around the world, really, that I certainly want to hear it. I don't necessarily think it's something that the world needs. I guess would be a weird way to to put it. And 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 you see it with a lot of artists. I remember, you know, a few years ago, um, they uncovered a bunch of Elvis Presley recordings, and they seem to keep doing that every couple of years until fairly recently. That there was always kind of some new track to mine. Uh, they did it um, with uh, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. They put out a, a song several years after. Kurt Cobain died called um, something like You Know You're Right, something I think was it, and they appended it to a Greatest Hits album. Um, they've done it, you know, Tupac had a hologram. So, you know, as long as we're not doing holograms of of George Harrison and John Lennon, I think we're, we're better off. Who says that they're not going to, they don't have that plan. Well, I have to admit, the I, I appreciate that AI is a tool and, and everything it can bring. I find it's way too deeply into the uncanny valley for me. It, it's and, very and, 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 maybe, and, and 
but whether the maybe you feel the same as somebody who writes, but I, I yeah. think that, you know, then, I, I like the process and the work and, and reading other people's process and work and knowing the amount of thought and care and passion and belief that goes into, you know, I'm sure Evan can make a much better argument about the value of art than I can. Um, but I think that I don't want to lose that. Well, and you see what the AI version is of a lot of things, and it's very disturbing. Makes you really wonder, like, that's how the computer really sees us. No wonder in every science fiction thing, when we give the computers a gun, the first thing they do is try to shoot us. So, you know, and, and, and I do think if we ever try to do AI versions of Yoko Ono singing, that might be the very end of the world. So um, it could be that, better. On that note, on that note, um, why don't you guys plug your uh, 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 social media stuff and and uh, Leonard, if you have any projects that you're doing, you can let let the fans know. Let's go with Jonathan Schwartz first. So I write a column every couple of weeks for SlamWrestling.net, uh, Greg Oliver's site. My last one came out just this past weekend. Um, I and my next one is due. Um, I imagine sometime this week I look at uh, Impact changing its name back to TNA and kind of wonder what all the fuss is about, considering uh, WWE in its current incarnation has gone through several name changes. So did WCW. Um, and it's across the industry. So I really kind of wonder what's in a name. So that's on Wrestler's Court with Jonathan Schwartz on SlamWrestling.net. Excellent. And Leonard, why don't you pull, give out your plugs? Well, uh, I have my Wrestling Talk channel, which I've removed most of my shows off of because people were using it without, without permission. Um, I, I'll be reposting a lot of that stuff up there, but not all at the same time from now on. There will be a new episode of my other podcast, The Beatle Maniacs, where we talk about this song that we were just discussing after it's released and my my two co-hosts uh, will weigh in on their opinions of it. And that's all I really have. Well, it's really great to have you guys here this weekend. Um, it's great to see you again, Leonard, after a uh, year plus. And uh, love to have you again as a guest on the show. And uh, always glad to have you, Jonathan, fill in when we when we need your thoughts from about, on from America's hat. That's what, we, well, that's what we call you Canadians. So uh, uh, we'll have a great show again next week. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. Good night, everybody.